0: You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hello to all you excellent, erudite, educated, eggheads, eager, and excited to escape ennui. Welcome to Good Job Brain, your weekly quiz show and offbeat trivia podcast. I am your constantly curious co-host, Chris. And today, you're listening to a very special bonus episode. This is being released at the same time as your regular episode of Good Job Brain. And this special bonus is all about escape rooms. And that is why we have brought on a special guest for you. She's a writer. An artist, a professional puzzle maker, and she designs and runs escape rooms and other types of immersive environments as well. And she is...
1: Laura E. Hall. Hi.
0: Hello, Laura Hi. E. Hall. Hey. <laughs> we we are bringing you on now. We're doing this now because you have just released a brand new book. Can you, can you tell us about that?
1: Yeah, so the book is called Planning Your Escape, subtitle, Strategy Secrets to Make You an Escape Room Superstar. Yeah, the book is basically um, an introduction to the history of escape rooms. It kind of goes through the whole genre and history of immersive and talks about like, why people play and what compels us to come together and in sort of real life spaces and and that kind of stuff. And then it also is a primer, if you've never played an escape room before, that teaches you like, how to solve puzzles and how to recognize codes and the kind of things to expect when you're going into a room for the first time. So there's a little something for everybody in it.
0: So before we get too into things, and I want to come back to the book in a little bit, um, uh, this is a, a, a little bit of surprise for you. We always kick off episodes of Good Job Brain with a general trivia segment, which is called <laughs> Pop Quiz Hotshot. Oh, boy. <laughs> and, since, and since I'm the only one here and I have the random trivial pursuit card, Laura, you are the contestant. How are you feeling today, as far as answering some Trivial Pursuit questions? Let's
1: give it a shot. <laughs> Let's
0: do it. So do you do? I mean, do you do a lot of uh, of trivia? Do you have you done pub trivia things like that? I do.
1: Yeah, that I do crosswords a lot of the time. I switch. I think there's a little bit of overlap in the the need for general knowledge with that. So yeah, as long as it's not a sports question, that is something I'm trying to beef up on. I never know it, so
0: <laughs> we have yes. So that was one of the things. So when um, when when Karen, who's the host of Good Job Brain, uh, when when she and I started our pub trivia team, um, we did pretty good. Uh, except whenever there was a sports round, we would always put up a zero, right. just a zero. As we sort of secretly started building this uh, this 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 team, the first person that we added was uh, was Colin, who was another co-host of Good Job Brain, and he was Karen's co-worker at the time. And he was a sports guy, so we're like, awesome. "You, you need a sports guy, get on the team." Right? And we went from zeros to tens. We went from zeros to tens every round Fantastic. because he really knew his sports stuff. So you do. So you're right. It's it's it, you either a sports person or you're not a sports person, and you got to bone up on it. Yeah, uh, I don't think there's any sports questions here, so <laughs> you're you're in good shape. So here we go for your blue wedge. Okay. Um, which which airport's international code is CDG?
1: Oh no, uh, CDG, pass, I don't know.
0: No, <laughs> uh, I'm gonna help you get there. This is, it's named after a person.
1: Oh, Charles de Gaulle.
0: Yes, so yes, that's it, Charles de Gaulle. Great. Uh, or Paris, Paris yeah, Charles de Gaulle. Okay. Yeah, So you got it, there you go. Um, Pink Wedge, which star of the 2015 film Burnt played a similar bad boy chef 10 years earlier on the TV show Kitchen Confidential?
1: That's a fictional.
0: Yeah, sorry. So it's a weird. It's a weird question. This is this is how it's phrased, but you're right. It's a weird question because Kitchen Confidential was the it was the book that became a series by uh, Anthony Bourdain.
1: Oh gosh, I have no idea.
0: Yeah, no idea. So uh, so it's uh, it's Bradley Cooper. Oh okay. It was Bradley, I know, right? Huh. See, we're learning stuff. I today. am learning. Yeah, I didn't. Know I that. love learning. I, no
1: I do. This is all. I'm filing this away. So <laughs>
0: Bradley Cooper, Rocket Raccoon played uh, played Anthony Bourdain. Okay, okay. Yellow Wedge, who, this, I'm sorry, (laughs) who was, who was Ross Perot's running mate in the 1992 presidential election?
1: Oh, shoot. Right? It's not Dan Quayle.
0: It's not Dan Quayle. I know that from Animaniacs.
1: I'm not going to (laughs) lie.
0: Of course. Of course. This is, this is, this is tough. And I vaguely, I vaguely sort of remember this from 92 when I was 12 years old. And I was like, oh yeah, okay, Sure.
1: I feel like I'm just on the generational edge of not yep, having yep, the actual yep. memory of it. Who was his
0: right? Name? It's So it is Vice Admiral James Bond Stockdale. Did
1: not know that one.
0: I hadn't thought about that since 1992 either. All right, let's go with Purple Wedge. Which eccentric poet friend of Shelley would not allow any of his numerous romantic conquests to eat in front of him?
1: That's got to be Byron.
0: Bingo. Okay. Lord Byron. (laughs) Great. Yes, would not allow any of his numerous romantic conquests to eat in front of him, but he made an exception for champagne and lobster, saying they were the only becoming foods. Okay. How about that? (laughs) All right, Lord Byron. Green Wedge. How about this? The cacao tree, whose botanical name translates to food of the gods, produces a bean used to make what? Chocolate? Yes, (laughs) cocoa or chocolate. (laughs) A little bit of extra trivia in here. The beans from a single tree produce less than a pound of chocolate a year. Mm. And finally, Orange Wedge. What signature piece of clothing by a Diane von Furstenberg celebrated its 40th anniversary in 2014?
1: 40th anniversary in 2014. 40th
0: anniversary, signature piece of clothing by Diane von Furstenberg. The wrap dress. The wrap dress. I did That's that one. it. Yep. All right. <laughs> nice job on that one. Woo. Fantastic. All right. Well, excellent job on that one. Very good job to your brain. Um, so let's. Okay. So let's let's get into let's get into it. We've we've got you here. Describe an escape room. How would you describe an escape room to somebody? Sure.
1: An escape room is usually a physical mm-hmm. space that you enter into. Usually it on a team, there's like a timer going. That's that's sort of one of the constraints. It's it's often an hour, sometimes a little bit more or less, depending on the size. Everything in the room is a clue or a puzzle to be solved with the eventual end goal of reaching the end of the puzzle, which used to be would literally escape the room. Like there's like a key to the door. Now mm-hmm. Nowadays that has evolved beyond that. So there's more like You're uh, completing a bank heist or you're freeing somebody from prison or they, you know, there's some sort of like other diffuse the bomb style end goal. That's that's the basic form of them typically.
0: You have your escape room company, which is, that's in Portland, Oregon, right? Yep. Meridian Adventure Company is the name of it? Yeah,
1: Meridian Adventure Co. is is our company here in Portland, yeah.
0: As we're recording this, we are still in COVID times. You've not been running any escape room. We
1: actually do have an online game that we just launched called The Traveler's oh, yeah. Guide to Little Soderbergh. There's a couple of different types of digital escape rooms if you're looking mm-hmm. to play one. One of them is called an avatar game. I have this physical room I'm placing a person in it and you're controlling them like a first person video game, essentially. You say, oh, pick that thing up over there. Hey, can you please look at this? And, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. so you're controlling the avatar.
0: But it's played by a person. That one, yeah, that
1: that style is. And then there's also just straight virtual, which um, is the kind that we have. You basically are on a video call with your friends. It's all through our system. So it's not like on Zoom or something, but you are in a hosted session and then you go through a series of sort of puzzle adventures through the internet. And it's all, yeah, contained in the computer screen.
0: It seems like that would be a really fun um, and popular activity for people to be able to see their friends, uh, you know, when they can't see them physically as well, right? Yeah.
1: And that's that's one of the tips, too, is like the Room Escape artist folks were talking to me about this and they recommend that you not play these games with your regular group because you can kind of see them anytime. Like these great, these games are really good for like, if your family lives across the country or like your old school friends or people that you would like to hang out with and spend time with, but aren't necessarily, it doesn't have to be a replacement for the in-person stuff. It can supplement it.
0: Yeah. The the book Planning Your Escape, as you've said, is kind of split into two halves. It, the first half is like this very detailed uh, history of, immersive entertainment and it really goes it goes back a a long way doesn't it
1: i tie it back to like ancient history right i Mm -hmm, i mm -hmm. use an example of um a game that was found in the mahenjo daro archaeological site i'm sure you will have seen this because it's like super common but it's one of those uh it's like a round maze with marbles in it and you Mm -hmm. roll it around and you try and get it into the center it's a dexterity puzzle but they found those in the ancient Indus Valley. There's tons of board games from Egypt and stuff. And it's just really interesting to me to look at the ways that human behavior is really not all that different. We want and need the same kind of things. And playfulness is a huge part of that. In the book, though, I, I draw a line between that and um, the game Pigs and Clover, which came out in the 1800s. Um, and it was like a legitimate viral craze, but it's the exact same thing. It was like a little cardboard circle That you roll a little marble around in and try and get it into the center, but it was like super, super popular at that time. And I just, Mm -hmm. in the book, I make the argument that as technology advances, people use that to get together and party, basically just have lots of fun, and inevitably gameplay is happening at that time. Um, But you know, it's also a way for people to find that their power is in groups, right? So there's like a lot of political organization that happens around that. So I just thought that was really like an interesting thread um, that goes through it. The other flip side of that is that the thing that is pretty consistently developing those advances is the military. So gameplay in the military is pretty inextricable. And so that's that's sort of... Um, the the gist of the historical stuff it's Mm. that makes it sound maybe a little more dry (laughs) but (laughs) but um the 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 kind of thing is like anytime you build like a road somebody puts an amusement park at the end of it essentially so that's that's what the history stuff goes through
0: and just the idea that like escape rooms are this very novel 21st century sort of form of entertainment that we only started hearing about over the last like five six years or so but they they have these actually very ancient roots they didn't just sort of come out of nowhere
1: yeah exactly there's like mm-hmm. elizabethan larp examples you know so people have always wanted to kind of like yeah go into a cool environment and play around in it you know
0: yeah and i mean that's that's really the um the the a lot of the appeal is sort of, of of going into that you know spending that hour hour and a half you know in this carefully constructed space um that is full of mystery and and entertainment and is not real life right yeah i i I saw you give a speech about escape rooms at one point and uh one of the, f- the first things you noted was that uh if you see escape rooms on t v generally um what you've seen in an episode of a of a sitcom that where they where all the characters do an escape room uh is often quite different from what the real thing is in in some very specific ways. and one of the things you you said was very often what happens is the one character on the TV show asks another an escape room, what's that And the first thing out of their mouth is, well, they lock you in a room right <laughs> and and then but 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 they don't in fact lock you in rooms. So. yes,
1: yeah, so this is one of the things like since i I run escape rooms as well, like safety is 100 percent the actual priority it's the number one thing it's it, it's supposed to be this way with any type of in-person entertainment so you, you know safety at a, an amusement park or a haunted house or but yeah we're not allowed to actually lock the door for for fire safety reasons um <laughs> but you want to still have the illusion of you know achieving something significant we sub we sub in other goals for that now <laughs> we did mm-hmm. we did used to lock the door though because before we sort of knew the rule I should say before we um knew better
0: before it it uh, came to the attention maybe of you know, with fire departments and things like that, that this was even a thing that they should be concerned about or talking to you guys about, about fire safety. Right. Because, because it's so new. Right.
1: Well, I mean, we always have worked really closely with the city because there's lots of rules and regulations, but when we first, I mean, we were the first ones to ever talk about it with our city. We were the first ones here and so in a lot of ways, it was like finding the right path together. Technology is a lot better now, too. So today we have stuff like all of our doors are tied into the fire alarm system. So if the alarm goes off, the doors pop open, you know. Oh. Yeah. So that's that's something that we are able to do now that we weren't <laughs> able to do even like, yeah, five, five six years ago. So
0: so what other stuff does uh does does tv get wrong about <laughs> um about the actual escape room experience what were some things because i was going to say you've actually been blogging about this yes. whenever a tv show does an escape room episode you actually review it and uh look at what they do and what do they get right what do they get wrong what are some egregious things oh. that uh, if people might have seen this on tv and they just you just want them to know that that would not fly in an actual escape room situation i'd
1: say like 99 percent of the stuff that's it because it's all- always a sitcom you know and and they need to like ratchet up the tension or they use it to like highlight the sort of foibles of a character right and that usually mm-hmm. means they're in horrifically dangerous situations and like d- just digging that all deeper there's a show two broke girls and they go to one i've never seen a room more dangerous than that and like I try to like keep a good sense of humor about these. You know. What are what
0: are some of the things in this room that are like super dangerous? They, they, do they like jump into the hole they, at some they point? They literally jump.
1: Yeah. There's just a, so it's an Alice in Wonderland themed room. And so there's like a rabbit yeah. hole, but the hole, yeah. is not a part of the game. There's just a hole. And one of them falls through and finds themselves trapped underneath the stage set. They're like in the sort of crawl space of the, of the game room and they've like injured their ankle And at the same time, the game attendant has accidentally trapped them, like locked them all in the room permanently. (laughs) He doesn't have the key to get out. Oh my gosh, just safety nightmare.
0: <laughs> so you've so you've talked about um, a, a little bit so far about um, things that you would want people to know about, you know, an escape room that was run by you, an escape room run by a professional group that that safety is very important. You know, what what else would you want people to know if they were thinking about coming into a room that was run by you to kind of put their mind at ease or what questions people had?
1: Yeah, well, so I would say it basically all comes down to kind of communication and advocating for yourself right? Like if at any point you have a question about something, the people running the room should be willing to answer it. Some games begin with restraints, so like handcuffs or chains, but there should always be a way to free yourself and you should always be allowed to not begin the game in that manner if you choose to. There's so much trust involved in this kind of thing. You're placing yourself into these scenarios where you're like in someone else's hands. And so it's just good to remember like you also can advocate for yourself in that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. (laughs)
0: Great. Okay. So let's say that I've never done one before, but now I've decided having listened to this podcast or the first 20 minutes of it, that I want to do an escape room. What are, what are the tips? What are like the three, you know, big tips that you would give to complete total beginners? The first things that you would tell them about escape rooms. Yeah.
1: So I would say first tip is when you're looking for a game, you know look at the scenarios and and see kind of what sounds fun but don't necessarily try the hardest thing at first right like if you've really never done one before you you want to kind of work your way up to the most desirable stuff so like it's totally fine to go play some as practice if you're very used to puzzles you probably could start with an intermediate one um but i mean they're all going to be fun no matter what level even if it you find that it's a super easy game like you're still going to have fun the second tip actually probably applies to anybody, but like if you're going in the, in a group, I would say talk about what you want to get out of the experience beforehand, right? Do you want to try and rush through stuff? Do you want to like kind of take your time and, and like focus on the fun, you know, fun versus competitive and just like agree with each other, like make a pledge to each other to be nice <laughs> because these are kind of like high stress environments a lot of the time, right? Like the timer's ticking and maybe there's like a siren going or, you know, not the fire alarm, but a in-game kind of thing. And there's like a lot of pressure involved. So I actually think it's very important to agree to be nice to each other. There's strategies like, always reflecting back what somebody said or, you know, if somebody makes a suggestion and nobody else kind of acknowledges it. Like you can have pre-agreed that you're going to say, oh, so-and-so said this, we should try it, that kind of thing. Um mm-hmm. Number three is like, yeah, just try and have fun. Ultimately, yeah. you know, it's it's kind of a competition, but it's supposed to be a competition against your best self, right? Like you're not against your own team, you're not against the person who made the room. So like, this is something, you know, in in sort of competitive puzzling environments that comes up a lot too. It's like, you really should be having fun. And if you're not having fun, there's ways to fix that. So yeah, I would try yeah. to actually try to have fun.
0: Yep, yep, yep. When my group of friends and I like did our first escape room, once we came out of it, that's when I think we started realizing a lot of the things that we needed to do to succeed, because we had not done those things. Yeah. Um, And you know, just in terms of like, being very organized go in and look around the room talk to each other like everybody shouldn't be going in silently sort of looking at everything around the room and just thinking about it to themselves they should be calling stuff out yeah so you have this perspective of you run escape rooms which means that you will spend a day and watch six different teams of people maybe cycle through the same room you know, over and over and over. What are what are some common things that you see people do to to ruin their chances of, <laughs> of winning the game?
1: Finding something and then not telling anybody about it. I often see people open a drawer or a box, observe that there's something inside of it, not say anything and then close it. And then everybody else on the team has seen them searching it and thinks, well, they would have said something if they found it. And so then they overlook that thing the entire rest of the game until they are struggling and they're like, well, why, what what are we missing? Right. And you have to kind of redirect them to that. And yeah, it's solved with communication. (laughs) I would say team dynamics often come up, you know, sometimes you'll get a team building group from a workplace or a family where one person is sort of more dominant in their personality. They come in, they think that they know everything and everybody else is wrong. You're sort of listening to them, making all of these declarations and directing people and they're very rarely correct, actually um, <laughs> <laughs> and it it just stymies the whole process and, and again, this is why I feel like it's important to discuss how you're gonna like tackle it beforehand it's it's not fun to experience that and or to watch it and so you know, if you're really aiming to Go in and be successful at solving, like discussing that type of scenario and how you would handle it and what you would do.
0: Also, a great idea would be like, if you're going in with a team that if there's anybody on the team that you haven't played with before, or if you have different levels of experience, don't just meet up with everybody five minutes before (laughs) the escape room starts. Go get lunch before that and make a plan. Like we're going to talk about what an escape room is, what we're going to do, talk about the strategy before we go in and just get everybody on that same page before you start totally
1: yeah mixed groups of experience levels are like a totally different thing too right because do you want to spoil the experience for a first-time player or like for me Mm -hmm. i'll often sort of like hold back if i wanted to just blast through a puzzle like i could do it but it's really a lot more fun to like step back let somebody figure it out for themselves. It's not that you're like withholding from yourself. You're sort of allowing them to have the full experience. But that also comes down to if I was with a totally experienced team, I would say, okay, there's a hidden door there. That latch is going to pop open. So we need to listen for that electromagnet releasing, that kind of thing. Do you brute force the last digit of a padlock?
0: (laughs) Right. If you get the
1: the first three numbers, you can just figure out the last one by trying each iteration of it. Right. Right. And sometimes people get really upset because, it, you know, you're skipping over a step and it doesn't feel right. complete, right. even yep. though the puzzle is has been solved technically. So that's that's always stuff to just discuss and agree on.
0: Yeah. Having the the mixed experience group, I think it's more incumbent on the people with more experience to shepherd everybody and help everybody about what they're doing yeah. versus just doing stuff as quick as they can. Yep,
1: totally. Because
0: then you're leaving people out. And also you might, you still might lose because- <laughs> If you leave people mentally in the dust, then they're not, they're not able to help, you know, once the puzzle, you know, goes on.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: So we kind of, I also wanted to ask about like tips for, okay, you've done some escape rooms, you've won some escape rooms. What are like expert level tips? Uh, The other thing I wanted to, to, to mention is that, yeah, one of the things that you have to wonder when you go into an escape room with people, like, do you say That's that's a hidden door. Right. Or you could not say anything. And when the hidden door opens, people do realize that that was a hidden door behind a bookshelf. They have a very magical kind of experience. So that's a good thing to think about as well too. like how how much do you so what other what other tips would you say would be good for like people who are not total beginners? How do you take it to the next level? Yeah.
1: So for experts, I would say that's a huge one, right? How much of the magic are you going to try to preserve for yourselves and for each other? At a certain point, there's only so many ways to lock a box. Like I, I talk about that in the book. And so you start to really recognize the sort of familiar patterns and stuff. That does make the really clever puzzles that much more enjoyable because you can be just absolutely delighted by encountering something that's like fresh or new presumably you have like a regular team if you're like doing tons of these. Mixing that up can be fun sometimes, right? Like a lot of people who travel around and play games in different escape rooms will contact local folks in the areas where they're traveling to. And so that's like just a kind of nice way to um, meet and hang out with different people. I would also say some of the most fun that I've had in escape rooms was with my expert team. And we actually start playing games of our own almost oh yeah yeah um so this is sort of outside of the bounds of the book maybe but (laughs) um a couple of years ago some friends and I went to Kuala Lumpur because they just have tons and tons of rooms there um so it was a group of academics and game designers and curators and we all went and played as many games as we could in a span Mm -hmm. of like 10 days
0: And this became a podcast series, right? Yes.
1: Yeah. It's called Every Game in the City. It's the first season of that on the Idle Thumbs Network. Just the most fun that we had was in in a room where um, we had name tags. It was a sort of classroom murder mystery. One group of our friends played it, and they thought, we can make a really cool game layer that sits on top of this. And so then when the second group came in, which I was a part of... They gave each of us secret powers and we it, it affected how we played the game. And one of our friends was really into role playing. And so we just sort of made the game and the experience our own. Some of the powers that we were given were like, you can't touch anything with your hands or you can only respond to a, a direct question and not say any, you know, not offer any information, <laughs> things like that.
0: Um, right. Right.
1: You know, I'm not necessarily, like, recommending that for, like, everybody, but it's it's really just about the kind of spirit of the team and, like, how you're approaching it. Like, you can play a terrible game, uh, like, a terrible mm. quality game and still have an amazing time because you're hanging out with your friends. Um, so that's, I, you know, it's really just about, like, finding that kind of dynamic amongst yourselves. That's, I think, really the sweet spot for expert solving. Hints.
0: Mm-hmm. My 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 friend group and I, uh, we played what is generally considered to be the first, I think, es- like escape room in the U.S., which was Escape the Room by Scrap in San Francisco. Yeah. Um, and that was a real mess. Like that room <laughs> was a mess. It must have had like 300 objects in the room that weren't part of the of the puzzles. Wow. And so it just sucked up a ton of time because rooms, rooms typically don't really do this anymore, right? Okay. I mean you don't they don't fill the rooms with tons of tons of junk. And uh we got stymied we lost because I think I may have told you this story before um we couldn't find uh an Allen wrench and the Allen wrench was you know those hotel ice buckets mm-hmm. you know how the hotel ice bucket has a lid on it yeah well if you were to take that lid and if you were to turn the knob on the lid, oh, no. um, the lid would split into two pieces and open up the two pieces, and the Allen wrench was masking taped inside the lid. Oh no. So <laughs> it just, it seemed like a solid object. It was it was one of one million solid objects in this room. And the important thing here is that um, A, I'm still mad about it ten years <laughs> later. B um, and B, there were no there was no hint system. Right. At this point, Scrap, which was you know the, the the company that innovated and brought escape rooms you know from Japan to the U.S., uh, they prided themselves on their extremely low solve rate. Yes, I mean they would we'd get in there and like only three percent of teams have solved this puzzle, and it's like, wow, okay, well. Yeah. Uh but then but there was no system where you could ask for a hint but that's very different now rooms really are are expecting players at this point to ask for hints yeah
1: yes definitely yeah i'll say one of the only rooms that i've ever failed was a scrap room and it was for a similar <laughs> sort of twist reveal at the end that i am also still yeah. mad about it <laughs> <laughs> Um so I feel That's you. our
0: podcast we're going to start still <laughs> mad at crack.
1: I mean I love their games but yeah hints really are actually designed to be taken and I think that's probably something that's not that obvious if you haven't played a game before right because in a lot of scenarios hints are penalized right like in a video game or something. Right he yep. might lose points for it or something like that.
0: Yeah. And we had had escape room experiences where I think, you know, sort of like in the sort of in the middle, it was like, oh, well, we'll give you a hint, but then you didn't win. Yeah, We're not going to put you on the wall of fame or we're going to add time. And if you take too many hints, you lose, right. you know, so it was kind of like, well, then we're not going to take any hints at all out of kind of pride. Yeah. But that's but again, that's that's sort of not how it is now.
1: Right. Exactly. But it's also like, again, what experience are you choosing to have? Right. It's fun to be yep. on the leaderboard, but also it's fun to solve the game in a good feeling amount of time. Frustration isn't fun. This is one of the the places where like my perspective running the games I think helps a lot because for me, I want every puzzle to get solved. I want people to be able to have that feeling of triumph over that thing. And so hints often are not just like, yeah, here's the answer. It's like, try looking at that thing again or you're very close, keep going, right? I just want to like nudge people just enough so that their brain can make that connection. That's So that's something that I recommend in the book. Like if you are wondering like, am I just wasting my time or am I even remotely close? You can ask for, yeah. for like a confirmation of that. You can say, am I on the right track or you know if you're entering a combination lock that just like won't go you can say like can I, you confirm that the answer is correct just get a little bit more information that will help you on your way
0: right so not like solve this puzzle for me yeah. it doesn't have to be that it, you know you could ask for a hint in a way where maybe at the end you don't even remember that you would ask for a hint at all
1: exactly so yeah. it's a time-based game and so saving time is really kind of like the most important um, strategy you know if i'm like working on something for like five minutes or so, or if I'm watching somebody work on something for five minutes, that's when I say, okay, I'm, I'm wanting a hint, but I will leave it mm-hmm. for like one or one and a half more minutes. Yep. Most of the time people will get it, but if they're not, that's about the point where they're getting frustrated. And, right. and so that's when you really want to like make sure that you're yeah, on the right path or something, because yeah. the time wasting part of it, you know, you don't want to be spending 10, 15 minutes on something if you only have 60 minutes total.
0: You're probably gonna have more fun if you took that hint, got over it, and then win exactly with having taken a hint yeah. versus I burned 30 minutes on one puzzle and now we're getting booted out of the room. We didn't even, you know, get very far. Yep. It's like what what's gonna be the better experience for you? Yeah. Now this gets really important before you go into the room with that team. One of the things you got to work out amongst yourselves is when do we ask for a hint? Who can ask for a hint? Do you have to confirm to the rest of the room before you ask for a hint? That sort of a thing. Yeah,
1: exactly. I mean, I think it's it's helpful to get a read on the room. You can say, you know, two more minutes on this one and then I'm going to ask, right? So you can like put a timer on it, for example. You do get tunnel vision sometimes when you're like, I feel it, I'm so close, right? That's also kind of on the the game monitor, whoever is watching you to to mm-hmm. to just confirm like, just keep going or whatever, right? To, yep. to not just yep. sort of reveal it. They should be watching you and sort of crafting that to match your experience as well.
0: One of the things is, so when we first started doing scrap rooms, the way that they did it is they sold you an individual ticket. Right. And they just combined you with random people and put you in the room. And that's just a recipe for disaster. Yeah. Because nobody's, not only do you, can you not communicate with your team, you're not on team with anybody. It's just all different groups of people doing stuff. And but very quickly the escape room business switched over from selling individual tickets to selling. Because at first, when we would be like, Okay, listen, we're buying out the room. We're gonna make sure that nobody is in that room <laughs> that's not with us. Yeah. And that very but that's now the standard. Now you just buy the room. Yes. Right. Um, But there are still some escape room situations where you might find yourself paired with randos, right? Or you might or or it might be you might be with the family that's got the dad yelling uh, at the kids. But then and then it's you also, you know, standing on the outside of that. So have you ever have you played games with strangers and, and had to come up with like, well, how do I? on-the-fly work with people who I don't even know?
1: Yes, definitely. So I, w- I would say generally that has changed as the industry has evolved, um, just exactly what you described. Like at first, it was just about throughput. So it's like, if we can just make a, a huge room and there's 10 people in there, we want to sell every single ticket for this slot and it's going to be kind of good luck <laughs> to everybody in there. <laughs> um, but But most rooms probably are going to be private bookings now especially post-pandemic or during pandemic or whatever that's almost certainly going to be like an across-the-board change that Mm -hmm. said (laughs) yeah I've definitely been in situations where I'm like we've kind of solved everything and we're just sort of like watching somebody that we don't really know trying to do something and I'd say the best situation for that or the best scenario that you can do is like just say do you want to swap out or like, can I have a look at it? Do not which I've seen happen, go over and just take it out of their hands, you know?
0: Oh, gosh. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah,
1: I mean, you feel like you shouldn't have to remind people of that kind of thing, but then you see it happen and you're like, ah, yes. Okay. Yeah. Politeness. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. It's it's the same kind of thing, though. I mean, like most people who go are like they want to get out, too. They want to solve it, too. So I I think generally people are like pretty willing, even if it's like a little awkward at first to get into that flow.
0: I'm gonna call out one of my friends because uh, we we went into a room and uh, there was like a music based it was like a music based puzzle that was like it had like a maybe like a a, a glockenspiel or something like that and uh, immediately one of my friends is like my husband has perfect pitch so you know let him do this I'm like there is no way on God's green earth that this puzzle <laughs> requires somebody with perfect pitch to come in and solve the puzzle like it's gotta be solvable by just regular people off the street without special knowledge yes. Of- you might need to use the periodic table of elements but you you definitely don't have to memorize yeah. the periodic table of elements <laughs> exactly. before you go into a room right yeah, yeah
1: exactly so that's that's the kind of situation where pattern recognition and like kind of knowing generally how things are encoded comes into play because yeah rooms should not require external knowledge like you don't need to know the works of shakespeare you shouldn't need to speak french like yeah you sh- you don't have mm-hmm. to read sheet music but you will see that those are sort of the trappings that are hiding a di- like a level of encoding
0: i wish uh, I, right now i wish that um, that karen was here the host a good job brain because she has a, a wonderful story that i'll just tell you in her absence that she uh she did do and a, 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 she was on vacation and she was in an escape room with strangers with a with a family and they were like you know younger kid like teens so there was a cassette tape player oh. in the room. <laughs> so they had no idea what that was. And so she had to actually show them how to load a cassette into the cassette tape player. So for, for them, that was a puzzle. And uh, what ends up happening is, so it was, I think it was like an 80s themed, um, you know, sort of room. And uh, she pops the cassette tape in, closes it, pushes play. And uh, immediately the cassette tape starts up and she hears the guitar riff like da-da-da-da-da. And she, and she yells at the teens, quick! dial the number 8675309 on the telephone and if the teens weren't already confused now they are extremely what is this lady talking about how did she listen to 3 seconds of a guitar riff and tell us what telephone number to dial on the telephone the older people listening to this podcast understand the reference the teens look it up, I guess. Uh, All right, <laughs> your parents. Um, but yeah, so that that had happened to her that that's an example of I think, a wonderful, uh, magical thing happening yeah. in an escape room. Do you have any you have a great story of like something you did that you felt really great about yourself? Or is it just something wonderful that happened where?
1: Oh, gosh, that's a great question. So most of the time, I now I'm just playing with my partner. Right. Like we, mm-hmm. we try and oh, book yeah. to, to play our games, even if it's like generally yeah. intended for a larger group, just because it's fun. Yeah, I can't think of any like particular individual moment, but like when he and I are like in that flow state together, because we can, we have like the shorthand of our relationship. We know each other's solving strengths and weaknesses and stuff. So we can just communicate like mind meld style. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's, it's a tricky question because a lot of the time, when you play games, like you kind of feel like, oh, I don't think I did anything, not really, right? But if, uh, in, yeah, in truth, you totally did. You know, everybody's contributed yep. to it, and you know, so <laughs> I'm like, well, oh no, you, I'm, you know what? Honestly, not, no. if you were
0: if you were in if you were in that room and you played well and you looked around and you found stuff and you helped everybody get everything together and you were um, pleasant and you didn't yell at anybody and you encouraged people and you were fun to be with, yeah. then you helped everybody solve all the puzzles. Exactly. because you created the environment in which they were going to thrive instead of doing what I do and create the environment in which everyone has to kill me again because <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm yelling and flustered so much.
1: I, well, I guess, you know, not everybody is going to have the aha moment of like the lock opens in your hand. Although yep. I I just thought of a story. Um, we were playing a game where um, it was a, a multi-part room. Um, so this was with a, a third person. Um, So I was in the center. Uh, My partner was in one room and our friend was in the other. And I just, I could see this was the final puzzle. And it had to do with like color combinations and flipping switches Mm -hmm. on the thing. And I was just like, we are going to nail this, right? And so (laughs) I I was just like taking notes and working it out while everybody was sort of solving stuff. And so then when it all finally came together in the end, I was like, y'all, I got this. And we just, you know, (laughs) we nailed it. But it was for like a really triumphant narrative moment too. And so like to be in that, like it it was a magic themed room. That did actually feel like we had like nailed the magical part of it. So that was pretty satisfying.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So we've talked about like common things teams do to hurt themselves. What's some of the craziest stuff that you've seen a team do in an escape room that you were just like, wow, I certainly didn't expect that they would bring in their own sledgehammer and start smashing down the walls.
1: (laughs) Right. So I I would say we play test extensively specifically to try to prevent things like that from happening. We we try to make all of the sort of mistakes like that upfront so that we can basically completely close off all of those possible avenues for people. Um, so I, I will share one of the stories from our play test, um, which taught us quite a lot. <laughs> we had a typewriter in the game, and we had a group of game designer friends coming in to test it. And, you know, as as game designers, there are people who want to explore and test what the boundaries of the game system are, right? Like of there's course. not necessarily any rule until the game pushes back on you. Mm-hmm. The other thing to know is that during a play test, we will let people fail a lot further than we normally would in a game because we want to see the manner in which they're doing the thing, right? Yeah. So they're in the room, they're playing around. And they say, oh, my gosh, a typewriter. Okay. Oh, geez. Take out the ink strip in it, the ink (laughs) tape. And they're like, it's going to be printed on here. They'll have, you know, as if the character had typed whatever the message was, and it will be imprinted on the ink, the tape part. But they're holding it in their hands and unfurling it, and they're getting inkier Uh and inkier and inkier and we were like okay we actually have to intervene at this point <laughs> because that was very much not the puzzle anytime you are being given a warning up front right like don't put your fingers in the sockets don't unscrew light bulbs oh, right. there's
0: a type- it's it's not like it's not like wink wink nudge nudge yeah. don't stick a paper clip into the socket kind of thing it's like no 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 really don't do it yeah
1: there's a story behind the warning basically <laughs>
0: Yes. Yes. If you didn't mention this in the book, I I wouldn't bring it up now, but (laughs) you do mention, um, wearing, uh, comfortable clothing, um, to these, because you may, I mean, even if it's not like athletic, even if you're not going to be jumping over, um, you know, laser beams and things like that, which I, I have been in escape rooms where they wanted us to jump over laser beams. Um, and two of us were pregnant. Oh, boy, um, yeah. And, and we didn't win that room. <laughs> uh, but, um, you know, uh, even if you're not being asked to actually do sort of athletic or physical things, you might be standing on your tiptoes, looking around a corner, getting down onto the floor, looking underneath things. So you mentioned um, clothing, um, and specifically called out, make sure that your pants do not like ride down your butt when you when you crouch down yep. of that nature. I've yep, seen a yep, lot
1: yep. of butts in my time. <laughs> um, yeah, there's yeah, that's very common. the The tip for clothing in general, though, is like the ideal state that you're in is a flow state, right? Like you forget what you're doing and you kind of forget right. the needs of your body at that time the way that I kind of learned this personally was um, one time I was playing the game, two rooms in a boom, you stand on two sides of a room and like, there's kind of a lot of moving around back and forth and stuff. And we played game after game, after game of this thing. And it was on a concrete floor, but we were like, so swept up in it. And it was so much fun. And the next day I was like, I cannot walk. I, it was like brutal. And so that just was like a really, a, a good reminder to myself, like, when people are in a game, they're like standing up the whole hour or, or hour plus even. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of movement that the, you shouldn't really be asked to like climb on furniture or go up ladders or, you know, but there can be mm-hmm. crawling, mm-hmm. there's crouching, reaching, that kind of stuff. It's it's probably better to wear something that you can move in and yeah like do me a solid as the person watching and cover your butt. <laughs> like that would be
0: Yeah 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 yeah. <laughs> if you take anything away from this podcast it is that <laughs> Laura Hall has seen your butt and she didn't want to and she would rather not have. Yeah. And so let's <laughs> take some steps to make sure she doesn't have to see it anymore. That would
1: be fair. a kindness We're definitely. <laughs> yes
0: yes yes. Uh, Laura, thank you so much for joining me on this uh, very kind of experimental episode of Good Job Brain. This is our first like one-on-one interview episode. We talked to an expert about something that they are an expert in, and I hope everybody loved it. I definitely really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, the book uh, is called Planning Your Escape by, and your your name on the front cover is L.E. Hall, yep. like J.R.R. R. Tolkien. Yes, exactly. Um, <laughs> Yes. Um, It's available now. It's the perfect holiday gift, I think, for the puzzle fan in your life, the escape room fan, or just buy it for yourself. Laura, where can people find you if they want to know more about all of your various endeavors? Yeah.
1: So, my personal website is lauraehall.com. I'm also Lauraehall on Twitter. You can check out our uh, escape room if you are ever in Portland or want to play our online game. That's meridianadventureco.com. And both of those sites link directly to places to purchase the book as well.
0: Yeah. So, okay. That's our show. Thank you, Laura, for joining me. Thank you all for listening in. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Audible, and and all podcast apps. And on our website, goodjobbrain.com. We will see you next week. Bye. Bye.